What's up, WizKids, and welcome to another edition of Off the Bench. Jamoke Davis here with Zach Rosen and Dewey. I know you didn't think I forgot. I was on, vac- not vacation, but on the road with the team. But I'm back in the saddle. Glad to be back in D.C. Uh, coming up on Off the Bench, you don't want to miss this. A great interview that Zach and Dewey and Jacob did with Jackie McMullen. Rafe Bartholomew, Dan Clores, they all made a book together called Basketball, A Love Story, and Jackie McMullen will be joining the show to talk about the book and a little bit on the Washington Wizards. But we're talking about the Washington Wizards, who just came off of a 125-124 win over Portland, the Portland Trailblazers. This is the third straight game in Portland that had drama uh, three, two years ago. Because uh, it's weird. Like, I keep thinking it's 2016 when yeah. the game happened, but they're both in 2017. We had the game winner by Keith Morris. And then Where at the beginning, of, of he stepped out of bounds. <laughs> and then uh, we had the 51-point game, career high for Bradley Beal when they beat Portland at Portland last season. And now this season, a great overtime win. Keith Morris back in it again, scored a 28 points. Uh, it was just a great game. Uh, first, from watching it on television, what do you guys see uh, that you noticed positive that got the – the Wizards, not the win, not just the win, but the fact that the first two games were also close, and this time they finally got a W instead of two Ls. They just did the little things to win. I mean, nobody could seemingly make a shot until the fourth quarter. It was honestly a really awful game to watch if you're a fan of either team or just the game of basketball. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they just start trading buckets. Keefe gets red hot in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, he had 17 of his 28 during the uh, the fourth and the overtime, I thought Kelly Oubre had like probably top three best games of his career on both ends. Was nine of thirteen from the floor. He had a lot of big rebounds. He had eight deflections in the game. Just shows you the 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 little stuff that he was doing, and it was just like he was everywhere. Especially when you're in a game where I know the score said at the end was one twenty five, one twenty four, but it was like eighty to eighty with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter like Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of scoring and to make those plays to keep the game close and then he had that huge and one um down the stretch where it looked like the wizards were going to fall i mean everybody made a big shot john hit the one off the glass austin rivers had a huge three when they couldn't score a point Mm -hmm. um obviously brad had 19 in the first half and he had the three to tie it uh Otto had some big plays, and he played a lot, and he took a lot of shots, which was good to see. Jeff Green risked his whole body to save the game, to send it to overtime, and got hurt. So, I mean, it was just a, a team effort, and and they decided to go small in the second half, which you guys know I've been calling for kind of the first couple games is we, we would have one or two bigs on the floor, and I just, you know, stick with one big. This team is going to play best when they're playing small, and you saw that. Nurkic, although he had a pretty big game, wasn't he couldn't defend Keith because the way that the Blazers were switching was that they're switching one through four, which meant if you got a switch and had Morris pick and pop, he was going to be open for a three because Nurkic was going to fall into the paint and nobody was guarding him. And honestly, that's probably the best defensive strategy against the Wizards is make the other guys beat you. So, yeah, I mean, it was a team effort, I thought. Uh, Scott Brooks coached a really good second half in overtime, and and it really was the difference was making those extra effort plays and blocks. Yeah, I think it's way too early in the season to say any game is a must win, but getting that in Portland, just the way the game went, being resilient and just staying 
punch for punch really was I think huge for this team huge for the psyche of this team and I think Zach really touched on all the the main points especially Kelly Oubre I mean he was just so good in pretty much every facet he shot I think like 69.3 percent from the field 100 percent from three he was just very very efficient and I think that when the second unit guys like uh, Kelly Oubre and Austin and Jeff and when Keefe is playing the way he is um, and just giving that boost to you know John and Brad and guys like that I think that's when this team is at its best and getting that win um, in overtime fashion in thrilling fashion heading into the matchup with Golden State I think is huge for uh, the team right now and just the the development of the team as the season continues to go on. This team seems to do best on that first game of a long, of the long road trip. Yeah. Like they, I feel like they're excited to be on the road. I don't know if it means that they're fresh, but there's something about their energy level. And the funny thing is, so I was in Portland. Uh, we did a sights and sounds. Hopefully you enjoyed that from the win, which we'll have more of those during the season, during some of these big matchups or when we travel. But I think that I, the crowd and the way Portland was playing – reminded me of how the Wizards played in their first two games at home. The home team just really wasn't doing enough. They did get that one 10-point lead in that second quarter, but then the Wizards quickly came back, and they just were not doing enough, or we were doing more to counterpunch every time they punched. They just didn't seem to have it. But it's really exciting. They let, you know, Coach Brooks, you know, the the celebration in the locker room was really cool. just to kind of see them finally get that one in the books. I know you mentioned them going small. Part of that was Jan Mahimi as well. He didn't play that long. Um, But their versatility is just amazing. I mean, just the way that the the players and parts are so interchangeable. Would you say that it was more Portland lost it or the Wizards won it? I think the Wizards won the game because Portland still clawed back, you know, to hit the three to bring the game to one. John unfortunately misses the free throws and they have a chance to win. So the way that the Wizards closed the game and, you know, tied it, you could say Portland blew the game in a way at the end of the fourth, but at the same time, like the Wizards made the plays to win the game. Mm -hmm. I didn't think besides the missed free throws, which – you know, that's a whole nother problem that was happening throughout the whole game. So you can't really pinpoint the two free throws because the Blazers shot great from the line. It was the fact that outside of that, the Wizards made the extra play to stay in the game and the Blazers really, they couldn't put them away and then they couldn't finish it at the end. And that's also because of uh, the Wizards' defense is really good. I mean, you can look at the rebounding numbers. When there's so when both teams shoot 35%, they're just going to be a huge rebounding number. I know yeah. everyone's like, oh, they gave up 70 rebounds, but it's like you see how many shots were missed and how yeah. fast people are playing. There's just there's a difference. And, yeah, I think the offensive rebounding is just something that you have to give up when you go small. But we've been talking about this team going small for so long and shooting more threes. And though I thought they could have shot a few more threes, the rhythm of the game was was good after that third quarter. I mean, oh my god, that third quarter was brutal. Yeah. And so you hope <clears throat> because if if the Wizards have a third quarter like that, which is the Warriors' best third quarter, best quarter statistically, or any quarter at any point in the game against the Warriors, they will not win. So I thought that was a, a good thing to take away. Also, yeah, yeah. Closing out by having that defensive stand at the end was. I think a, a, a reason that the Wizards won the game opposed to Portland kind of losing it because, I mean, 
ball in Lillard's hands, that's really dangerous, and people know how that can go. So the fact that they were able to close and just take care of business and um, really put an exclamation point on just an overall good night um, I think was great. And, yeah, I, I would say the Wizards won that one. Another good night would be another Wizards win against the Warriors, the defending champion, back-to-back champion, Golden State Warriors tonight. This is the anniversary. Forty years ago, the Bullets played the Warriors in the NBA Finals and got swept, unfortunately, because then the the Bullets would have went back-to-back. But still, there's a history there with these two teams that I always like to think about this season. This will be the only game that they play in Golden State last year. Had quite the drama. Bradley Beal and Draymond Green got into it. I believe that was the second quarter, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, towards halftime, the Wizards yeah. were up like 15 points. Yeah, so... The Wizards have shown they can play against this team. I wonder what happened last year in Golden State plays into the mind of the Wizards this year because they were def- they were confident that they can beat the Warriors and, and were so close last year. Well, I want to say the Wizards were down Keith last year during this game, and he actually got suspended because he left the bench during that altercation, which mm-hmm. – I'm not going to – I don't want to get fined personally, yeah. but that's one of the <laughs> strangest rules, in my opinion, is that you can get suspended for that. Anyway, um, I want to say maybe Otto was dinged up during this game too, and the Wizards still like looked really good. They did. In that game. Because they could run with the pace. You talk right, about going yeah. small. They were, they, they were fine with I, that pace. And we've talked about this a lot, that in an ideal world, if the Wizards ever played the Warriors in the championship, they actually match up really well with them. The Warriors are obviously more talented. Um, but, yeah, this game will probably come down to if they can defend Durant because I think the Wizards have always shown that they can match up pretty well with Steph and Clay. and Durant's just another animal. I mean, how many guys can guard him to begin with, and how do the Wizards plan to guard him? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing would be don't let their other guys beat you because they do have a lot of role players. I think Sean Livingston is questionable, but they still have other players that will beat you, not as many as they used to have. Um, because they had to end up paying all their, their yeah. superstars. So I don't know. And and the other thing I want to watch is do the Wizards even play a center this entire game? Because they got two hurt centers. We don't know Jan's status. We'll get an update from Shoot Around probably. Um, I don't think you know Jason Smith will probably play a little bit. Thomas Bryan hasn't played at all. Yeah. And then the Warriors like start who Damian yeah. jo- James is that his name Jones and from he Vanderbilt. Like Twelve minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't play much. They don't have Javale anymore. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think this is going to be a small ball, high yeah. scoring. Whoever makes more shots is just going to win. Just who who hits from deep. Yeah, I think a big thing is just keeping pace. I mean, when you look at Golden State's one loss this year to Denver, um, what the Nuggets were able to do is they just never really fell that far behind. They were able to um, just keep pace throughout the entire game. And obviously that's uh, a pretty unique situation because we talk about how the Wizards probably best interest to go small ball but Denver is Jokic who's obviously a, a great facilitator and just a very kind of transcendent piece but I think the key to this one is definitely just keeping pace and making sure that um, you know like Zach said keeping KD in check because I think the backcourt matchup will be um, you know bo- both sides will get their shots in but I think keeping Durant that's why the Warriors are so tough if Steph has a bad game and Clay is a bad game then KD and Draymond are both having really good games and Iguodala is having a great game so I think just making controlling what you can control in if that makes any sense in that sense because I mean playing at Oracle is going to be tough um, if I did my math correctly which might may or may not be right but they have 17 home losses over the past two years which is obviously 
really, <laughs> really difficult place to play. So, um, but I mean, if the Wizards can keep pace and just not get too far behind, because I mean, if you look at it the other way, if you get a big deficit on Golden State, that can disappear in literally an instant. So I think just making sure that they're not falling too far behind, because if you like Golden State, just kind of keep piling on a lead it's not going to be great we're scoring up across the league what are we looking at like a 150 it's be a lot to 146 <laughs> final one, probably 120s and 120s regulation. again i would get as long as both teams make their shots yeah um so yeah i mean the wizards don't have the ability with injuries now to slow this game down but they really i mean the wizards play their best when they are running so it, it is in that way an ideal matchup, and I would keep an eye on fatigue because it's early in the year. A lot of guys are in shape, but at the same time, they're still getting back into game shape, and that can impact. I think you saw in the Blazers game in that third quarter, guys were just they were tired winded, yeah. yeah, on both ends. So yeah, I mean, luckily the Wizards didn't shoot like five from twenty-five like CJ yeah. McCollum did, but. Yeah, yeah, we noticed that too. Sitting, uh, we were sitting above in like section one eleven, and we could hear fa- even fans being like, "Man, both of these teams look like they're really tired, and they they were getting up and down." And obviously, this is only the second game in a five game road trip, so they really, you know, you not that you can say, "Okay, let's cut back on the minutes already." It is early in the season, but you know, you certainly don't want them to get even more tired as they go to Sacramento and the Clippers and Memphis. Yeah, but. it's interesting also because I think you look at who else is on this schedule. Uh, on this trip, mm-hmm. the uh, the Clippers and Grizzlies especially are going to just try and slow you down and grind out games. Whereas these first two games, and I think the Kings will be like this too, are just fast paced. Yeah. yeah, and the Wizards want to play that way, so it'll be interesting to see managing minutes in this game, knowing that the other ones won't be as fast paced. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, Wiz Kids, you'll get to watch that game. It is going to be a good one. Looking forward tonight. to it. Ten thirty tonight Ugh. on Late night NBC Sports Washington. Yes, we'll be up to like one thirty in the morning <laughs> enjoying that. And if they win, then you're going to get a great sights and sounds video on WashingtonWizards.com, which uh, we'll have that for you tomorrow morning. Uh, so coming up on Off the Bench, I'm not in it, but it's cool. It's going <laughs> to be Jackie McMullen, basketball, a love story. Zach Rosen, Dewey, and Jacob Rame uh, has some. Listen to some great stories from Jackie McMullen. She's like an encyclopedia. They she should have put yeah, that on she's there. Incredible. Yeah, and it also uh, something that I learned as we were talking before we actually started recording that that this is the book that inspired the ESPN uh, basketball a love story. Well, the film. other way around. So, the I mean, films the other way around. Inspired the book because yeah, they had so yeah. much. Yes, they had so much. So that's how we ended up with the book here. I got it backwards. Uh, and says it says right here on the book, inspired yeah. by our landmark <laughs> ESPN go. films. Series. Always read so, the cover, but yeah. don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, stay tuned, WizKids. Jackie McMullen's next. Welcome back to Off the Bench. And on the phone, we have the great Jackie McMullen, the author of the new book, Basketball, A Love Story, and, of course, longtime contributor to ESPN.com, uh, the first female sports journalist over at uh, the Boston Globe. Jackie, um, we're so happy that you could join us. I know we've been we've been working to get this going, and now that we've like read your book, too, we have so many questions for you. <laughs> And let's uh, yeah, let's do it. There's a lot in there. Yeah, and I was just flipping the channels last night. And I came across uh, the ESPN Films was talking about the Blazers, which of course goes hand in hand with with this book. Um, and before we get to questions, we just want to have from your own words, what was what is this goal? What is this book about? And what was the goal of writing this? 
Well, it's an interesting project, and it, it really um, sprouted from uh, the filmmaker, Dan Cloris. Um, you know, I think people have probably been watching on ESPN the same title, Basketball Love Story, the, uh, the little vignettes that he's been doing. And he hired me to do some of the interviews. So initially, I think I was down to do two or three of them. I interviewed Dirk Nowitzki and uh, Ann Myers and Nancy Lieber and a couple, a couple others. And uh, so I got to know Dan a little bit, didn't know him well at all up to that point. And he said, hey, I need someone to get Shaq. Can you get Shaq? I said, sure, I can get you Shaq. You know? <laughs> and then I interviewed Ann Myers. And Annie and I have known each other a long time. And while we were doing our interview, at the end of it, we both started saying, hey, you need to get Kathy Rush. You need to interview this person. So um, from there, Dan and I got to, you know, I did more of the interviews. He ended up interviewing me for the film. And then one day I just said to him, hey, man, you're going to have so much stuff on the cutting room floor. What a shame. you got all this great material. And, uh, and he circled back around and said, let's, let's put this into a book. So I got the great opportunity to work with a young writer that I had never met, Rafe Bartholomew, who was from Grantland. And we, so we, we had all these amazing interviews. I think the, the Oscar Robertson was four hours, something crazy like that, you know, two-plus hours with Bill Russell. And you got to sift through all of it and put it into some kind of oral history that makes sense to people, you know. And I think we were all careful to say, look, this is not the history of the game. This is not a start to the finish history of the game. But here are some parts of the game that have to do with people, you know, their passion for the sport, whether it's a male, a female, college, or an international player. And so that's what we were, that's what we were aiming for, was to try to use the, uh, the vehicle of oral history to bring some of these uh, these great stories to life. I think that the title to me is just is just perfect, and I think that like it really isn't it? I know I love the title too. It really you know, just does. We all love basketball, right? <laughs> we sure do. Couldn't do what we do without that. Um, and I right. just think it just the whole thing just does read like a love letter to the sport. And um, and on the title of love, like when you when you when you think back on the project, what was your favorite interview favorite story that came to be through this oh my gosh if you, if you had to there's pick one there's, there's just so many to choose from uh, you know I just learned a lot about things that I thought I already knew all about I thought David Stern was incredibly revealing in this book whether it was talking about huddling with all the uh, the executives of the NBA up in his offices and figuring out how they were going to handle it when Magic Johnson died of AIDS, because that's what everybody thought was going to happen, you know. And, uh, and Stern was very courageous in his stance on, on Irvin and making sure he, you know, had a chance to still be part of their, the, the NBA family. Uh, just him talking about being in his bathrobe, making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> when the malice of the palace happened, you know. Um, when, when, you know, he was obviously heavily involved with LeBron, um, ahead of the decision, they knew what was happening, and he was calling LeBron and his representatives and ESPN, by the way, and saying, "Don't do this." And uh, and so you know, it, we, there's a great moment where he just says, "Take my talents to South Beach." I mean, come on! And you know, <laughs> no one knew he was feeling. We were all feeling that way, right? But to have the uh, former commissioner say that, so a lot of the stories from David Stern, the, the Connie Hawkins story about, um, you know, what he and Roger Brown went through. I knew a little bit about that, but I had no idea. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories from that is there, Roz Lippman is representing Connie Hawkins and trying to get him back into the NBA. For those who don't know, Connie Hawkins was blackballed from the NBA because he was implicated in a point shaving scandal. And yet he had never played a game, a college game and he had won every high school game. So the, he, he had, 
been seen around Jack Molinas, who was a, a notorious point shaver and who was actually in prison for that. And so Roz Littman, Connie Hawkins' uh, attorney, says, oh, well, we're going to, her husband comes home and says, we're going to go meet with Jack Molinas tonight. She said, oh, are we going to the prison? He was in a place called the Tombs. And he said, no, we're going to a restaurant. Now, this guy's in prison. So yeah. they go to this restaurant in New York City, and Jack Molina shows up with, with, with a girl on his arm and two guards from the jail. And they <laughs> interview him at dinner at this very swanky restaurant, and then they take him back to prison. So, you know, crazy <laughs> stories like that. Um, you know, we, too many ABA stories to talk about. Wes Ansel, who I know people are very fond of in Washington, you He's know, got his, his discussion of how... Uh, how um, he was, or really honestly wasn't, recruited by Adolph Rupp at Kentucky. It was pretty revealing. So, yeah. I mean, I could go on all day. Just kind of staying on the topic of conducting the interviews and things like that, uh, were there any that kind of surprised you and maybe you got more out of uh, a player you interviewed than you had anticipated, or they were able to go in a different direction or anything of that nature? Sure. Well, one of the most um, candid interviews I, I did was Nancy Lieberman. And, you know, you just, we know how brash, how, you know, she was the greatest player of her generation, of her era. And, uh, but she, you know, grew up in, in Rockaway. Uh, she talks very candidly about her dysfunctional family and uh, their food, you know, one, one grandparent away from food stamps. And, and, you know, the lights go out one day and she says to her brother, what's happened? He goes, well, we're poor. She goes, what do you mean we're poor? He goes, yeah, we can't afford our electricity. We're poor. She said, well, I'm not poor. And he goes, yeah, you are. And, and, you know, basketball was her way out. And I think for so many of the people we interviewed and talked with, basketball was their way out. You know, again, I go back to Connie Hawkins. We have him on camera saying, no one ever told me I was any good at anything except for basketball. And then you talk up to Jerry West and, you know, how it was his escape. LeBron, uh, Kevin Durant talks about walking into the gym for the first time and calling it, he calls it the gates of heaven opened up. So I guess that was probably my favorite part of these interviews was how basketball saved a lot of young men and women who otherwise really weren't going to make it. Jackie, as I read this book, it it felt like I was living through history, but like learning the history through basketball. Did you find yourself right. thinking that way as you wrote it? Especially um, when you when we're discussing racial discrimination. I, yeah. To me, it's one of the poignant, most poignant and powerful chapters in the book. And just, uh, again... Uh, the things that happened to these to these these great athletes, these great people, what they had to endure, and uh, you know we can talk all the way back to Wayne Embry, for instance, who mm-hmm. um, is getting ready for Game Seven. He's he's playing for the Celtics at this point. He's come over from Milwaukee. He's he's backing up the great Bill Russell. He's getting himself ready. It's Game Seven. They're in Philadelphia. He's he's sitting on the bench, you know, preparing himself for this great moment, and. Um, and a, a Philly stand, a fan comes out of the stands, throws a banana in his lap, and says, "Have a good game, you big ape." You know, imagine having to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, Julius Irvin talking about, you know, going on vacation with his family and going down south and seeing the signs that said, "Welcome to Klan Country." And recent, you know, more recently, Shaquille O'Neal driving to a high school game in Texas and uh, driving through some cornfields and seeing his his uniform, you know, a, a scarecrow hung in effigy um, because he was black. So that some of the the experiences, uh, Isaiah Thomas, walking to school. He went to school in Chicago, and I had to take like two buses and a you know subway, and then walk the final mile in the bitter Chicago cold. And his teammates would drive by with their parents in their very nice fancy cars, and he'd get to school and he'd say, "Well, why didn't you guys pick me up?" 
And they said, oh, well, you know, we're not like that, but our parents, you know, our parents, we, yeah. we can't have you in our car. I mean, now you're talking, that's 1976. That's not that long ago. Yeah. So I felt like the racial uh, portion of, of just what these guys shared. You know, John Thompson said it best. We're, I'm not trying to be as good as you. I want to be better than you. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be equal with you. I'm trying to be better than you. And uh, and so, you know, the, the strength and the, the courage of these men and women to endure through some of those things was pretty uh, pretty poignant, I thought. And another historical event that stood out to me was the 1972 Olympic gold game, which I think right. a lot of basketball fans know about, but they don't know the detail. And so the detail that I read, especially in that, was so revealing of like trying to understand how everyone felt. And, and I don't think people realize that the U.S. hasn't taken the silver and they, they refuse to. Right, right. Well, and because it was just, you know, they, they felt they were robbed. And, you know, I think we can all agree they were. They yeah. had to play that game, what, three times over <laughs> in the last final seconds? And there was, you know, just a lot of uh, just there was talk in later years afterwards, well, let's try to get two gold medals and, you know, let's try to make this right. And, and there were just a, a real hardcore group of those guys from 72 that said, no, we're never accepting any medal unless it's the gold medal. And I think... Some of them, I, I, most of them didn't pick up the silver medal. I don't know where they are to this, to this day now, um, but just a, you know, a pivotal moment in, in basketball history and, and a black mark, really, I think, on Olympic history. Absolutely. Um, uh, when I was, um, you know, when I was flipping through the book and the first thing I wanted to do was find all of the, uh, uh, the Wizards and Bullets uh, notes and references, you know, so I immediately went to the, uh, to the, uh, to the Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld sections. Right. And, um, uh, did you get to do either of the interviews with them? And uh, I did and not. I would have loved to have done the interview with Wes in particular. Um, you know, I was a very young writer working for the Boston Globe when I fir- first met Wes Unseld, and I just thought he was the scariest man. <laughs> 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 he, was a, he was the GM of the, of the, they were the Bullets at the time, Um and uh, I was there to do a story on Rod Strickland, actually. And uh, he just, he was such a scary man. But you know what? What I loved about him was, if you knew what you were talking about, and you, and you just talked to him, you know, straightforwardly, right? He would, you know, that some of that would break down. I, I, the one funny thing was, I remember once I was, I, I saw him somewhere, and he grabbed my arm, and he, pin, he pinched my arm to see if I was, like, lifting weights. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> uh, but... I thought Wes was really a star in this book, and uh, because he's, you know, he's not making judgments. But again, when, if we, you know, I referenced it earlier, the recruitment, the recruiting process with um, with Adolf Rupp, and he had agreed to go speak at a reformatory school, and uh, so very reluctantly, Adolf Rupp was recruiting Wes Unseld because, you know, they, and it was right after Texas Western, of course, had beaten them, and uh, and so in essence, what Adolf Rupp did was. He knew that Wes Unseld had this other obligation, and he said, "Well, I'm going to come that day." And Wes said, "Well, I can't, I can't do it that day. I've, I've got to, you know, I've made, I've made this commitment." And he said, "Well, that's the day I, I can be there." So he waited for him, and he waited as long as he could, and then he finally had to go. And then Rupp timed it so, such so that he went there after Wes had had left, and then could tell everybody, "Well, he didn't even have enough decency to stay and talk with me." So I thought that was a pretty telling story. Going back to what Jacob said earlier about the title of the book and a love for basketball, and we all obviously have that love for basketball, how cool was it just being a part of this project and being able to present these players in not 
a sense that they're these really great and legendary players, but kind of breaking them down with common themes that people who are reading the books and just fans of basketball can empathize with. Well, you know, I'll tell you, as you guys know, it can be a difficult job that we have asking these athletes tough questions. And, and there, you know, there were some tough questions to be asked in all of these interviews. You know, it's no fun to have to ask Scottie Pippen, why did you not go into the game, right? Mm-hmm. In that, that famous game after Jordan had left the Bulls and gone to play baseball and, and Phil Jackson drew up the, the last play for Tony Kukoc uh, instead of Scottie Pippen. And I like Scottie a lot. I work with him on the jump. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not fun to ask those kind of questions, but I thought his answer was great. But anyway, but, but to your point, what I loved asking about, and they loved talking about, was when did you first fall in love with the game? And everybody has a great story about that. Or, or who did you try to be when you were, um, you know, out back, uh, you know, trying to sh- score the winning basket and how, like, Jerry West would be out there going, West has the ball, three, two, one. And he said and if he missed, he'd say, oh, wait, there was a way to put two seconds back <laughs> on the clock, you know. And uh, how many of us have done that, the same thing? And, everybody. You know, listening to Cheryl Miller talk about, um, playing with her brothers and and uh, Reggie, the only way Reggie could beat her was if he ran behind the bush and shot a three-pointer because you know if he went into the paint against her, she'd stuff the ball and <laughs> all these great stories about when they were growing up and when the game purely was that just a, a passion and a love that they had. Uh, they weren't getting paid, they weren't famous yet, and uh, you know it, for LeBron, you know nailing a little uh, thing on the back of his door. Everybody taking rolled-up socks and shooting that through. Haven't you guys done that? We've all done it, right? Yeah, of course. So it kind of made these these amazing athletes uh, a little bit more like us. I know another project that you worked on a lot over the summer was the mental health in the NBA. Right. Um, and our player, I know Kelly Oubre Jr. has been very open right. about his battles, and we, we actually asked a lot of them when they came back from the offseason about it, um, just kind of to hear their stance. But what was it like for you, first of all, to hear the you know these players revealing these things and coaches – um, and then uh, the other part would be, did you have to kind of ask around to figure out who would talk about it? Well, it was a long project. Um, I think it took me over a year because of the sensitivity of it. And um, there would be occasions where, I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of the times I could guess. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just had a sense. And, and a lot of the times I was right, and the player just didn't want to come forward. And, of course, I respected that. The, the intent was never to out people, right? It was just to get people who thought they had the courage to be able to, to really talk about it and make a difference in, in someone else's life. And so um, there were some very, very high-profile players that were with me right up to the 11th hour. And then, you know, when it finally came time um, to publish, decided, you know what, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm coming up on free agency or... I don't know how my GM's going to react to this. He doesn't know about it, those kind of things. So it was a very tricky story. Um, you know, really, in my mind, encapsulated it, probably the, the best way to describe how this league works is the twins, Markeith and, and you know, yeah. Marcus. That was, so, that was uh, a Marcus, great interview. I got to know a little bit because he's from Boston. He was playing here in Boston. I really randomly approached him in the locker room. I, don't, I didn't know him that well. And I said, hey, I'm doing this story on mental health, and I want to talk to as many people as I can about it. And he said, he looked at me and he said, call me tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, wow. And so he was really my needle, one of my needle in the haystacks, if you will. And because uh, I had no idea whether he had, he was struggling with anything or not. And then, of course, I thought his story was just incredible. And the reason I thought it was so incredible is because, you know, Mark Keefe and Morris, they're Marcus, 
Mark Heath and Marcus, excuse me. <laughs> Both of them, I think, are just, we all think they're these tough guys from North Philly and nothing bothers them. And, you know, they have this sort of real badass reputation in the league. And so for Marcus to be willing to sit down and, and go over with me what they both have dealt with. And then I said to him, you know, after we were done, I said, look, you, you mentioned that Markeith has some of these issues too, but I'm not comfortable mentioning him unless he knows about it. And he said, well, I'll call him, I'll call him. So he did. And then I saw both of them at the NBA draft show that we did in New York City in the seaport. They were guests on, our, on, the, on the draft show that we did. And I talked to Markeith a little bit, and I said, I want you to, you know, I don't want to do this if you're not ready or if you're uncomfortable. He said, no, no, it's important. And, and so we were going to sit down and talk, and I texted him throughout the summer, and, you know, he just couldn't do it. He yeah. just couldn't. He didn't mind me saying that he had struggled the same way his brother had, but he just couldn't share his portion of it. And to me, that really symbolizes this league. Some guys can articulate it and want to and, and feel better afterwards, and then other guys just they just can't bring themselves to do it. Uh, so those twins, to me, were two of the most important guys of that whole series. Um, that's incredibly fascinating, and um, thanks for sharing that. Moving to uh, a slightly lighter side of Markeith Morris, um, we just saw him play one of the best games of his career. Right. Um, yeah, I'm so happy to see it too. I am. I he, really grew to like those guys a lot. He was he was phenomenal um, against the Blazers, and we'd be we'd be remiss if we let you leave um, this interview without giving your take. Um, don't know if you had a chance to watch any of our games yet, but without giving your take on the 2018-19 Wizards, um, and you know, and the addition of Dwight and Austin and the, right. the backcourt of Wall well, and Beal. Maybe the addition of Dwight, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we're gonna we're gonna get him at some point. Yeah, right, right. Um, I think they're an endlessly fascinating team because I do think they have a lot of talent, and they've got to find a way to harness it in a way where um, they can handle everything that comes at them. And by that, I mean, I just, I'm not convinced they have the mental metal to take that next step. And until they have that, and maybe this is because I spend so much talk, time um, re researching mental health and mental toughness and pressure and all these things that go into making a complete athlete, uh, that to me seems to be the missing ingredient. Yeah, that's definitely a fair take. And I think on Monday, the way they pulled that game out just having yeah, a block a to save it to send it to OT and then having another block at the end of the game and two clutch shots. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they need to, to, to take the next step because last season that was such a struggle for the team. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. I wasn't sure about the Howard. I, I like Dwight. Um, I've known him for many, many, many years. I know there's a, he's still got a lot of talent, but he's, you know, I would compare him a little bit to Carmelo in that, you have to be willing to accept your role. And, Car and Carmelo can't seem to do it, and Dwight has not been able to do it. He's got to understand that he can help that team. He, he can still score. You know, he's, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I know like, yeah. recent fans of the NBA think I'm nuts, but he, this guy's a Hall of Famer. And, but he's not a Hall of Fame player right now. And as long as he can understand that and realize that the offense can't run through him, you know, he's not going to get 15 shots a game. But boy, he could make a huge difference for them if he can. If he can live with that, if he can be at peace with that, he can be a help to the Wizards. The problem is we don't have any evidence that he's able or willing to be that person. The last two stops have not convinced me that he can do that. Well, Jackie, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. We don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but we encourage everybody to to check out your book, uh, Basketball Love Story. Uh, I'm assuming we can 
you can get that book just about anywhere. Yeah, Amazon is probably your best bet in these days. I hope there are, I wish there were more bookstores, but boy, they seem to be a dying breed, a little bit like newspapers, sadly. When I w- so Amazon.com is probably your best bet. When I was on, I was um, recently on vacation in uh, in Seattle, and I went to a, a small independent bookstore there and saw um, Basketball Love Story was was front and center in the in the oh, uh, I love that. in the heart I'm, of the bookstore. So I that. Uh, yeah, that um, was that was good to see. The world has changed. You know, I used to do this is my fifth book, and we used to always do book signings at bookstores. Now I do them at restaurants and <laughs> AAU tournaments. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed a little bit. Thanks for for joining us, Jackie. It was, it was great so to, much. It was great to hear Thanks, more guys. about the book. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Truly appreciative. All right, WizKids. Ciao for now.